Welcome to the Hello Someday podcast, the podcast for busy women who are ready to drink less and live more. I'm Casey McGuire-Davidson, ex-red wine girl turned life coach, helping women create lives they love without alcohol. But it wasn't that long ago that I was anxious, overwhelmed, and drinking a bottle of wine a night to unwind. I thought that wine was the glue holding my life together, helping me cope with my kids, my stressful job, and my busy life. I didn't realize that my love affair with drinking was making me more anxious and less able to manage my responsibilities. In this podcast, my goal is to teach you the tried and true secrets of creating and living a life you don't want to escape from. Each week, I'll bring you tools, lessons, and conversations to help you drink less and live more. I'll teach you how to navigate our drinking-obsessed culture without a buzz, how to sit with your emotions when you're lonely or angry, frustrated or overwhelmed, how to self-soothe without a drink, and how to turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. I am so glad you're here. Now let's get started. Hey there. I've got some big news for you that I have been not so patiently waiting to tell you about. After six months away, my super popular completely free masterclass is back and it's better than ever. I've been working on it for months. So if you have been struggling to get sober momentum, please go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class. You can sign up for my free training, Five Secrets to Taking a Break from Drinking, even if you've tried and failed in the past. In this 60-minute masterclass, I am going to share with you all the things you need to stop doing because they're setting you up for self-sabotage and what you need to start doing instead. I am giving you the steps and the mindset shifts that I go through every day with my private coaching clients, and it is completely free. So if you are sober curious, if you've been thinking about taking a break from alcohol, this class is going to set you up for success. I promise you it is worth your time. So hit pause on this episode, go to hellosomedaycoaching.com forward slash class and save your seat. Hi there. My guest today is Holly Whitaker, who you probably know. She's the author of the New York Times bestselling book, Quit Like a Woman, The Radical Choice to Not Drink in a Culture Obsessed with Alcohol. Her work has been featured in Vogue, the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Fortune, and many others. Holly's work focuses on understanding the intersections of systems, culture, and individual experience and identity through the lens of addiction and recovery. She lives in upstate New York, but is joining us from LA today. And I'm so excited to have Holly on, not only because her book, Quit Like a Woman, has helped so many women get out of the drinking cycle and think about the role alcohol plays in our society and in the lives of women in particular in a new way, but also because Holly was a big part of my own sober journey. I joined her hip sobriety school way back in April 2016 when I was only 60 days alcohol-free, and it was a big part of giving me the tools and community and steps and resolve to keep on going. So Holly, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Feels like ages ago that hip sobriety was a thing. (laughs) It is ages ago. It's like six and a half years ago. And I think... Which is crazy. Right? I think I was one of like maybe your first four classes that you did. Which one did you go through? I did April 2016. So that was the third. Oh my God. I I ran it once in May 2015 with like 10 people. I did it again in January. And then you were the first... You were like the really... Like the first really big one. It was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. And I also know like one of the things that was like, okay, I'm definitely going to do this was I was really worried because I was going to Italy in June of that year. So when I was like four months sober, 
with my mother and my sister and like, which total trigger. And I was a red wine girl. And you talked about Italy alcohol free. So I was like, that's it. I need this. So I don't break down. Yeah. Isn't that fun? I mean, like I had never, it's so funny because I had always dreamed about going to Italy and drinking. Had you ever been before? Or was that your first oh, yeah. time? I had been, been. many okay. times and drank a lot of crafts. Yeah. I think it's really funny because I absolutely had uh, never been to Italy. I'd always dreamed of Italy and like going to Italy and drinking my way through it. And then the first chance I get to go to Italy, I end up not being able to drink. And I've now been to Italy probably like, I don't many times. And I've never had a drop of alcohol there, which is, um, and I don't even, and because of that, in in a way, I don't even think about it. I don't associate Italy with wine. It's yeah. like this weird thing that I forget exists and is, you know, a staple of the culture. Yeah. So, yeah, no, that was definitely inspiring to me. Cause I was like, I need yeah. to learn from Holly, how the heck to do this. So you know, I started with you, I guess I was your third class and yeah. you helped me so much. And I think that the hip sobriety framework was evolved and added to and what became Tempest and what became your book. Can you tell us a little bit about like what started this process for you? You like, um, you mean what started my own journey of getting sober or my, my reason for sharing it with other people? Your reason for sharing it. You know, it was honestly just this desire. No, it wasn't just this desire. It was this, it was a rage, right? It was, a, it was like, it was anger. I think there was a couple of things that were going on. Um, it's interesting because, I mean, I don't do that anymore. I don't like it might like the, the core of my work is not to change the conversation about recovery and sobriety. I think for anybody that's listening, that's just coming into this space, or maybe has only been around for a few years, it's really, really hard to put words to how much has changed in the past decade when it comes to how we talk about alcohol and how we talk about addiction and how we talk about recovery. But when I was getting sober, which always makes me feel like I'm <laughs> overstating, you know, how, like how old I am or how different it was, but very truthfully in 2012, when I first stopped drinking, there was like a book or two on the internet, um, that talked about alcohol. Um, there was, there were really one or two blogs that existed. Mrs. D goes alcohol free was one. Um, Genevieve uh, was another. There were two, like basically two women I found on the internet that were writing about, and they were writing anonymously. Um, Genevieve is Jennifer. There was no real conversation about the upsides of removing alcohol. There was no mention of big alcohol. That wasn't a thing. Um, people that didn't drink were people that were, you know, couldn't drink and they were meant to go away and shut up uh, and, you know, and, 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 you know, go and uh, attend their meetings anonymously and not talk about it. And there were all these intersecting, I don't want to say state of affairs, but like what was at the time, it was just it was so limiting and it was so isolating. And I had a lot of, I had a lot of, I guess, like, I had a lot of anger at what existed, right? I had a lot of anger at the fact that no one was talking about it, um, that no one was excited about it, um, that people were drinking alcohol the way they were and really um, not like, and problematically and believing because they weren't, you know, some like extremely addicted individual um, that they, that they, that they didn't have an issue with it. Like there was just all of this stuff that was happening in the culture that really felt um it was wrong. And it also felt like it was, uh, it felt like what I was seeing was something that I could not talk about. And so I think there was, um, two big motivations. One was really, really, there was the creating of this, of this like story that around alcohol, uh, that it is not this necessary staple that we need to consume and really opening up that dialogue about how, what we were really conditioned and trained to, um, like a drug that we were conditioned and trained to consume was actually extremely harmful, not just to like a small percentage of people that became severely addicted to it, but the gen, you know, the general population and really highlighting this idea that alcohol is a drug. Um, and one that, you know, a, you know, multi-trillion dollar industry, um, benefits from, um, without any liability or culpability for the deaths, um, and that it's just like kind of the next big tobacco. So there was that piece of it. And then there was this other piece of it, which was, 
I had a very, very beautiful and expansive experience as many people do getting sober. It was an upgrade. It was not, you know, like I had resisted quitting drinking because there was, um, you know, just this belief that like, now I had to go over with these sad people over here. And we were just going to go to meetings for the rest of our lives. And, and our lives were over because it's, it's, you know, the, like the idea still is, but was very, very much concrete back then that if you were addicted, um, then, you know, you were somebody that couldn't anymore and, and that your life had to get really small. I mean, and I think, you know, people in recovery, right, right. You like you had that. And so I think there, those two things really wanting individuals to both like feel excited about and, and like desire to get into recovery. And then the other, which was, you know, like we have our ideas about alcohol are very backwards and wrong. Um, those, those were the things that primarily compelled me to do it. Um, and it was, you know, there, there, again, like it's really hard to overstate. (laughs) There was, there was really nothing that existed at that time that was, you know, aside from like some very niche things that was really like spreading those messages. Yeah. I completely remember that. Cause of course I quit six and a half years ago, but like most people, it wasn't kind of my first rodeo, my first try. So it was almost 10 years ago, the very first time I tried to stop drinking. And you're completely right. I mean, I joined the BFB, which was this very hard to find niche online Facebook group that I think when I joined, they were barely transitioning to Facebook. It used to be like a Yahoo email group, which is crazy. I mean, I'm feeling very, very old, but there was nothing there. I mean, the only advice, like you said, was like, go to a meeting and then this small online, super hard to find um, email group and Facebook group, which I think, you know, just in my own personal experience, didn't resonate with me and took me back to drinking. I mean, I was also not ready to quit drinking, but it was also that I didn't want that version of my life. And so when I sort of decided that I really needed to stop the second time, it was kind of like this small emerging new world. I mean, I remember on like 10 days alcohol free walking out of my office to go to a walk. um, And I walked to the water listening to your home podcast with Laura McCowan. And yeah, I mean, you were really one of the first to put together an online program that was different. And you got a ton of blowback for that. I mean, you were really brave. Yeah. (laughs) And still, right. Like I just this morning posted about the same thing that we were talking about 10 years ago and and are still talking about today. So yeah, a ton of blowback. Yeah. Yeah. What I loved about your program was it was a framework. It was step-by-step. I mean, each week, you had a new topic, you had a new framework, we had a Q&A online, which now you are so famous that I'm very happy and lucky that I went through that with you when you were still doing I mean, my God, you would, it was supposed to be an hour, you would, you know, answer questions until they were all done. I mean, I think it was like two hours by the end of it. Right. And super interactive. (laughs) I mean, it, you know, it was a long time ago, but I it really helped me. So thank you very much for that. Yeah. It was such a joy to do. It really was, you know, it was like one of the best periods of my life. And I think one of the most important things that I've ever done. Right. And, um, yeah, thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. (laughs) There were a couple of things that you said that really resonated with me and like stuck with me to this day. And one of the things you said was, I just don't fuck with alcohol anymore. And that was so helpful to me because I had like burned my hand on that hot stove so many times, you know, like hoping it would be different, hoping that like now I can fuck with alcohol just like once a week on a date night. And it sort of framed it in a new way. I mean, I think you were even like, there's lots of shit I can fuck with. Like, because I think we all want to like still be a little rebellious and still like not be an adult who doesn't do anything that is 
dangerous or rebellious or like not good for us in the classical sense. But just that idea, I was like, oh, yeah, just don't fuck with that one thing and your life will be better. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I, I, I framed it as know what you can't fuck with, right? Like know what you can and can't fuck with. And I do think that like when you're removing alcohol from your life, like for me, alcohol was subversive, right? It was, it was definitely like a symbol of my, it was just a symbol of my own liberation as it's been trained to like, we've been conditioned to believe that using alcohol is like a, is a symbol of our, our rebellious nature or like the one way to like, um, you know, like really like demonstrate our independence or like, re- like it also lowers inhibition. So maybe it's like the thing that we use in order to like really get down and dirty or whatever it is. But for me, it was, it was this really important piece of my identity and this really important, like, um, substance to me that helped me to, I, you know, I, I break free of all the, all the crap that like had felt like it was completely oppressive. And so I think removing it was like removing a bad boyfriend or removing a bad relationship. Right. It was just like this, like you said, like, go, like trying to make it work in all these different ways that, and it never does. Um, like, ha- like saving it for date night or only having X number of drinks a week or only once a month or only on this vacation or only whatever never works ever, 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 ever. Right. In the same way that nothing that like kind of undoes us ever works when we try and just confine it to a special time. And for me, it was identifying these are the things that I can't do anymore. These are the things I have to stay away from because they will take me down. And, and I'll stay there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'll have to pull myself back out again. And I'm exhausted. I can't keep doing that. Um, and then also identifying, but these are the things that give me that same edge that I can mess around with, you know? And like, I remember in like early sobriety, I was like, when I was in Italy, I would go from cafe to cafe to cafe and have a shot of espresso. And I'd have like 10 or 12 espresso. Shots. I could never do that today. But back then I get super high on caffeine. And that wouldn't ruin my life, you know, but like it felt good and it felt a little dangerous and it was a little dangerous, but like, you know, you understand. So yeah, it's, it is a really important concept of like, just like knowing the things that we really can't, that really don't, are never going to work for us. Right. Ever. No matter how, what angle we go at it. Yeah. Well, and one of the things that you talk about extensively, and I think it's so great is like, of course, it's never going to work for you. It is this addictive substance that is addictive to everyone. And it's going to bring you down, right? Like, it's never going to work for you. And anyone with enough exposure to it is going to get to a point where it doesn't work for them either. And the substance is working as designed. Right. That's right. That's right. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. I don't know about you, but I cannot believe how fast this year is flying by. We're all busy, but one of the most important things you can do to make sure you're on the right path is to carve out some time to celebrate your victories and to notice what you've wanted to change but haven't been able to yet. Whether you're navigating sobriety, setting boundaries, or striving to be the best version of yourself, therapy can be a game changer. Therapy is for anyone looking for growth and support. And if you're considering it, why not give BetterHelp a try? It's convenient, it's flexible, and it's entirely online. So take a moment for yourself and visit betterhelp.com forward slash someday to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash someday. So what was that shift in helping you realize that? Because it is something that we are conditioned to believe is good for meaning a a right of adulthood, something that is precious, something that should be celebrated. And like, if you take it away from your life, oh my God, how sad for you, you know? Yeah. And I I think like, it's interesting because I, I also like 
think that we really understand that now a lot more than we used to. Um, I, there's, you know, so many different like non-alcoholic beverage companies. There's the sober curious movement and <laughs> quote unquote movement. There's the, you know, there's gray area drinking, there's mindful drinking. There's all sorts of different things that we have now that allow us to really call into question the, the necessity of alcohol. Um, I think for me, because there was really no conversation around this at the time, um, it was, I read, I read Alan Carr's book. I've, I've, you know, I've talked about this so many times and it's I mentioned it in my book and I've mentioned it for years that this was like a really pivotal moment for me. I picked up a book, a book changed my life, but the idea of like that Alan Carr presented in, in his book, which I think is really, really important was that you don't have to do this anymore. Right. There was such a flip for me in this idea of like, I had, I had not, alcohol hadn't felt good since I started using it. Right. Like, and, and I think that that's pretty true for a lot of us, um, that don't necessarily become addicted to it, but anybody that's on the spectrum of problematic drinking, anybody that's had a hangover, anybody that said something stupid, anybody that has, you know, woken up with like that dehydrated mouth and like that awful, like hangover breath or like anyone that has, you know, like ended up with mystery restrict receipts the next day, you know, like there's so many different things that like are, are really unpleasant, um, that involve alcohol. And I think for me, there was lots of unpleasantness as well as like, you know, a sexual assault and, and then any number of things, alcohol had really never been this like additive factor in my life, maybe for a few minutes, like maybe the first buzz, maybe the, you know, one perfect fun night out that like out of, you know, like 50 that were awful and never ended up the way that I wanted them to. Um, but like for the most part, alcohol was not something that made me feel great, right? It's a depressant. It feels anxiety. Um, it, you know, like does all sorts of awful things to your body. Um, you know, it like <laughs> erases your memory. It compromises your decision-making. Like there's all this stuff that it's, that, that are not great, right? Like that it does to us. And so for me, I had always believed I have to make this thing work. Like, yes, these, these are the, these things are the consequences of the price that I pay for doing it. I just need to use it a little, like more responsibly and like a little bit more like, um, uh, disciplined and, uh, and then it will work for me. And so, you know, by the time I quit drinking, I had been drinking for over 20 years. And I think that was the flip for me, which is like, I had always believed fully I have to make this thing work to have a life, to have a good life. And then it was, I don't have to do this. I can have a good full life and I don't have to keep doing this to myself. And that was it. You know, that was for me, like the matrix moment of realizing it's, it's not necessary to drink, to have a good life. Yeah. Well, and I remember like when I was 22, I mean, I was just so not willing to look at the negative side in comparison to the positive side. Like I never did this after like my, you know, the age of 25, which I have no idea why, because my drinking got way worse. But I remember being 22 in my crappy basement apartment and my first job and drinking too much and literally being on the floor of my bathroom for hours throwing up yellow bile. I mean, literally hours. And my mother oh, yeah. at the time over the phone would be like, Casey, I think it's time for you to reevaluate your relationship with alcohol. And it became a joke. Like it became my punchline for literally 15 years as like, that's hysterical. I will never do that. That's ridiculous. But I mean, I was shaky and like truly, truly ill. And one of the things you mentioned, you mentioned Alan Carr's book. And what I think is really interesting about your approach. So in hip sobriety, oh my God, you were the most voracious reader and sharer of that information of anyone I'd ever met. I mean, every single week there would be like 12 book recommendations that like <laughs> no one could possibly ever read. But I was like, Oh my God, this woman knows what she's talking about, but like this yeah. is a full-time job. 
if I were to read every book you would recommend. And yet it was that plus a very, I wouldn't say touchy feely, but like the physical, the emotional, the spiritual, like drink hot lemon water. And like in our first session, you were like, everybody put your thumbs up and your hands up and do breath of fire. (laughs) Like I was like, (laughs) I mean, right. It was this combination. Right. Right. Yeah. It was, I mean, I think like there's, there's a lot that goes into our healing. Like there's a lot that goes into our sickness, right? Like we're not, it's, it's not just alcohol. Like alcohol isn't the thing, right? Like alcohol happens to be a substance that is, you know, widely misused and, uh, and problematic and fatal and toxic and all sorts of stuff. But, um, you know, alcohol has existed for, you know, since the, like it's fermented sugar, right? Like it's like, it's a naturally occurring substance that's been used for thousands and thousands of years. Um, you know, the problem really lies within, um, the lives we lead, the culture that we live in and, um, and, and, and all, num- you know, like when we really are talking about what makes people sick, it's, you know, it's not that you're born with an alcoholic gene, right? Like it's that you are, you know, born with your predisposed, you know, set with your, with your, with your gene blueprint. And then you go out into the world and, you know, certain things get turned on and traumas form and, you know, all sort of coping mechanisms are made. And uh, there's, you know, like essentially we're, we're just each of these like walking, living, breathing stories, you know, in these collections of, 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 you know, like dynamic collections of like, of, of pain and, and, and joy. And, and each of us are extremely individual. And, and the reason that we might end up using alcohol in a way that doesn't feel great or becomes addictive and qualifies, you know, on the spectrum of alcohol use disorder, you know, it very, it's no, no two people have the same story. And I think when you're really looking at, okay, so if we drink because of, you know, thousands of different reasons, um, you know, our, our, our recovery from that and our removal of the substance, right. Cause you don't just like pull, you don't just like remove the alcohol and then you're fine. You know, like oftentimes alcohol, not often, always it's a, it's intelligent. Like we're intelligent for using these things. So you remove the thing. But then you're left with, well, this was a helpful coping mechanism and a tool that I used, um, you know, and like I have all this stuff that like needs attention. And I think that what really what I found when I was researching what makes us sick and what what heals us is that it really has to be, you know, first dynamic. It has to include all these different aspects to address all the many reasons um, that we are struggling, um, or sick or, or whatever. And then also when you're specifically talking about alcohol, you know, our habitual use of alcohol, if we're going back and like every night we're using alcohol, we come home from work at 5 PM. There's this whole thing that happens. That's like by design, like, you know, like the time of day, the way the sun hits the building, the way the, the keys sound, when they open the door, the smell of, you know, your home, when you walk in, you know, the, like the ritual of making dinner, the, the smells, the scents, the feel, the, you know, all of it, like, these are things that cue us to, to perform a habit. They're locked in, you know, when you drink alcohol, alcohol releases dopamine and a whole, you know, cascade of neurochemical events that create a a really like textured memory. And, all of those things that are incorporated into it that I just like mentioned, like the sound of the keys, the oil hitting the frying pan, the cutting board coming out. If you're making dinner at home, or if it's a Sunday, like walking into your favorite restaurant or Friday, going into a bar, whatever it is, there's this collection of cues that are infused to uphold and to, and to propel you and compel you to drink. And so if you're, if you're trying to create um, if you're trying not to, to, you know, keep firing up those same things, you really have to create a fully like sensual experience, um, to help lock in new memories of healing. Right. And so if you're, you know, like incorporating different tastes and different textures and, 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 and different, um, uh, sounds and, and, and really like, like creating like whole sensory experiences of ritual for healthy things, um, we're, you know, 
we're basically trying to, you know, create new wiring and that supports different habits. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Can we talk about perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause for a minute? I am 48. So if you're going through it, I'm right there with you. I mean, hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts, the low moods, the poor sleep, it is not cool. And that's why I was really excited to find a supplement called Hormone Harmony by Happy Mammoth. It contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors like those super fun hormonal changes. It helps reduce menopause symptoms head on. And if you're interested in trying it, you can use the code HELLO for 15% off your first order. Women cannot stop raving about it on social media, but the biggest benefit is the simplest, feeling like yourself again. So if you're going through this, like I'm going through this, for a limited time, you can get 15% off your first order at happymammoth.com with promo code HELLO. That's happy, M-A-M-M-O-T-H.com. And use promo code HELLO for 15% off your first order. Yeah. And I think that one of the things that you did, which was very cool, is not only were you one of the first people talking about this openly, but because of your work, you were one of the first people who was sort of creating this thing where you were bringing people together. Like you said, I was part of the first kind of bigger big class. I mean, I don't remember whether there were over 100 people in it. And of course, everyone was in different phases of quitting drinking, being sober curious before that was even a thing or further along where they were like, yikes, this is a problem. But what was cool is it used to be this thing that none of us talked about, right? Everybody to this day, if you're early in this phase is like, what is wrong with me? All of my girlfriends can drink. Everyone at work can drink, yada, yada, yada. And what you realize as you come together is like, there are so many people out there who look like you and have the same social life as you and do all the things who are still, if you saw them as one of your girlfriends, you would think that they, you know, didn't have a problem with it because nobody talked about it. And once we started bringing people together, you're like, okay, there actually is nothing wrong with me. And there are all these people out there who are not open about the fact because they're worried about themselves that like, you know, it's like the Me Too movement of struggling with alcohol. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think like I, I was, the AA was pretty much the first, like, I want to be really clear. I was not the first person to bring a large group of people together. To, like, yeah. Yeah. To. But I think that like, what was really different about like the, you know, early 2010s um, and like what, you know, what I did and what other people did, like Annie Grace oh, yeah. um, was like, or Laura McCowan or, you know, like was really create um, conspicuous Yes. Um, non-consumption, like conspicuous sobriety. And um, I think that that was what made it, you know, I think that that was one of the, like the big turning points was that it started to move out into like the open discussion and open dialogue and, and, uh, and, and other people shared their own stories and made themselves seen in their recovery or in their, or their attempts at sobriety or whatever it is. Yeah. And so I think what really, really shifted back then was that there was just people like that was a huge, I think a huge sea change, which was people being really proud um, and very loud. You're right. Like when I think back, I feel like in those early days, there were more and more people, this emerging discussion about this and being open. And, you know, you would find one thing that resonated with you. I found the home podcast and I don't even remember how I found it. And then it was sort of like pulling this thread. Like you talked with, um, you talked with Annie Grace on it. And then I was introduced to her work. You interviewed Catherine Gray back in the day, long before 
she wrote, you know, the book, The Unexpected Joy of Being Sober. Yeah, she broke her anonymity on our podcast. I she was know. writing anonymously before that. Yeah. I, she was actually on the BFB back in the day. And she would like post some of her early writing. Like she yes, was a strategy yes. group that I joined later. Yes. And yeah. It was, it was such an interesting time. Um, and yet, like you said, people who, because a lot of people listen to this who are just coming to the idea of, okay, maybe alcohol isn't working with me and I'm shifting my thought patterns. And it's, you know, they are, I mean, no one listening to this, or at least if you're in the early days, it's like, oh my God, I'm so lucky, right? If you're qu- struggling with alcohol, you're like, fuck, this sucks. I'm not lucky at all. But like yeah. just the breadth and the depth and the openness of conversation, if you go on Instagram or TikTok or anything like that, you know, it it is really widespread and easy to find if you want to. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, it's like uh, it's 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 everywhere. Like, I think it's it's wild to kind of see um, how many different options exist. And I think it's also like really important to say like there was just a bunch of white women at the beginning that were yeah. talking about this. And I think there's there's a, a huge movement towards intersectionality and representation. There's a lot of queer accounts. Um, there's a lot of accounts for people of color. There is, you know, there's like a, there is an increasing representation of all of the different ways that individuals struggle, um, and heal. And I think that it is easy to take for granted that this exists, but it was, it was rare. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And you talked about, you've written about sort of that alcohol will, or you hope it is, or it's beginning to have, you know, the cigarette moment. And you wrote in your book, a reversal of public opinion and a rejection of it by mainstream culture seen as something we used to do. And once we remove our willful ignorance, which I completely think it is willful ignorance at all levels of society, of its harmful effects on us personally and collectively, it will change. Do you see that happening more? Or, I mean, obviously there's still a ton of work to do. Yeah. I mean, like I follow Google search term, um, like big alcohol. There's still very few things that are like, it still isn't, it wasn't even a term, you know, years ago, like maybe, um, maybe Charlotte Castle or Jean Kilborn, or, you know, uttered those words years ago, but like, it just wasn't a thing. And I think that it still really isn't though. I think that we are, you know, we say like, there's big psychedelic now there's, there's, you know, there's big cannabis. Um, and I think we are starting to acknowledge that there is a large corporate interest, you know, that relies on our death that has to replace its customers. You know, there's like some statistics out that like 60%, if like 60, like that, that most income 60 to 80% of income from, for alcohol and the alcohol industry comes from people that uh, misuse its product that don't use that use the product, not as you know, they suggest. And so I think, and that if like everybody drank responsibly, then everyone would, you know, like basically the alcohol industry would, you know, would go and and yet they're like drink responsibly. That's our, you know, hysterical. So, right. I mean, they say that as a way to confuse us, not as a way to help us. Um, and also to, to shrug their own liability, but I think the point I'm making is, but what you saw, what you've seen happen with like big pharma and that has really impacted and changed, um, you know, both like corporate culpability and public awareness and public sympathy. And, and the same for tobacco is that there were a lot of lawsuits and that there was really, um, you know, and even like recently with what's happened with, with Juul, the electronic cigarettes, it has required legal action and which always unearths extremely like tactical and specific marketing schemes and the defrauding of the public and the, like the hidden agenda of trying to, you know, hook children as a consumer, all of, you know, like all the hits, all the things we know have happened over the years within the tobacco industry. But we still don't have that with, with, with alcohol. And we still don't have that with alcohol, you know, in my opinion, because so many of us drink still and and it still is seen as this 
this is as not just what we're supposed to do, but as this like wonderful, like life-giving substance that we're so fortunate to have. And so I don't know when like this, you know, there is the, like, there is the like social rejection of it that's happening. Um, though you and I are like kind of in it. So we think it's a lot bigger than it is, you know, like in the general population, people don't think this way. Um, but there is like starting to become a, like, there's a tipping point it's in the, you know, like sober curious is the thing most people have heard of at this point, but I don't think that you're really going to see like, you know, alcohol having like quote unquote, a cigarette moment until there's some kind of class action lawsuits brought against the alcohol industry that shows, you know, malintent to kill, to kill their customer. Right. Yeah. And you know, what's interesting, I follow some Google terms as well. And obviously, like, there is just starting to be this bubbling up. I mean, I think doctors just are putting forward that they think there should be stronger warning labels other than sure. don't drink when you're pregnant and don't drink yeah. and drive on alcohol. And, you know, the American Cancer Society literally just changed their guidelines, like what, a year or two ago saying that no amount of alcohol is safe in terms of your cancer risk. And one of the articles that popped up, which cracked me up, was an article by like the Wine Association or one of those lobbying groups. And it said like, somehow people are pushing the news that alcohol is bad for your health and people are starting to believe it. Like as a problem, as something to be solved. Of course it is. It's a problem for the Wine Association, right? It's a problem for anybody that's profiting off of death without paying for its cost. Hi there. If you're listening to this episode and have been trying to take a break from drinking, but keep starting and stopping and starting again, I want to invite you to take a look at my on-demand coaching course, the Sobriety Starter Kit. The Sobriety Starter Kit is an online self-study sober coaching course that will help you quit drinking and build a life you love without alcohol, without white knuckling it or hating the process. The course includes the exact step-by-step coaching framework I work through with my private coaching clients, but at a much more affordable price than one-on-one coaching. And the Sobriety Starter Kit is ready, waiting, and available to support you anytime you need it and when it fits into your schedule. You don't need to work your life around group meetings or classes at a specific day or time. This course is not a 30-day challenge or a one-day-at-a-time approach. Instead, it's a step-by-step formula for changing your relationship with alcohol. The course will help you turn the decision to stop drinking from your worst-case scenario to the best decision of your life. You will sleep better and have more energy. You'll look better and feel better. You'll have more patience and less anxiety. And with my approach, you won't feel deprived or isolated in the process. So if you're interested in learning more about all the details, please go to www.sobrietystarterkit.com you can start at any time, and I would love to see you in the course. Yeah, or, you know, because of the money they give and the lobbying and the laws and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But um, if anyone doesn't know Jean Kilborn, because she has been doing this work for a really long time. I actually interviewed her on the podcast. So I'll put that interview in the show notes because her work is really fascinating. And it was at the time framed, yes, as big tobacco and, and sort of diet culture way back before that was a thing and big alcohol, but framed sort of in the lens of media awareness and, you know, intelligently consuming the messages you're, you're getting. Yeah. So I remember, you know, two years ago, there was like a super big moment for your book where Chrissy Teigen posted on Instagram that she was four weeks sober and said, quit like a woman helped her become sober. And, you know, that a friend and a doctor had given her the book and your book had had a lot of publicity before that. 
but it was sort of this celebrity, you know, endorsement that had a huge following and sort of awareness of that. What do you think about that? Do you think that helps? Do you think, I mean, I remember you were going on the Today Show or Good Morning America and all that kind of stuff. Do I think it helps? Um, yeah, in, in the sort of celebrity aspect of it. Well, yeah, I mean, I like, I think that, yeah, like, absolutely. I mean, in, in, in many ways, right? Like, it's, it's again, like, conspicuous. Like, there's a, a person that has, you know, 30x million followers on Instagram, like, the actual, like, you know, mayor of Instagram, I think, or in Twitter, whatever, <laughs> Chrissy Teigen, um, who, you know, has great influence talking about her struggles with alcohol. Um, so yeah, I think there's, you know, like in, in just that alone. Yeah. It's, it, it invited a lot of people to the table that were either not sure whether or not they were struggling with it to, and like to count themselves in as somebody that could explore their drinking and, um, yeah, I mean, I think that the impacts of of that, you know, they're still, uh, they're still being felt. Yeah. 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 And one of the reasons I want to encourage people to read Quit Like a Woman, and I know many women already have, is because you do lay out, we've touched on it, but in the book, like a laundry list of reasons why alcohol is toxic to your body and yeah. why yeah. it shouldn't you know, of course, it's not good for you. And of course, it's addictive, but also what it does to all of your functions. And 10 reasons why the terms alcoholic and alcoholism should die. So if you're interested mm -hmm. in those things, it's laid out really intelligently and clearly. And if that, you know, those kind of labels are something that is holding you back from deciding to stop drinking, I think, I think it'll help you sort of get over that, that barrier to entry to deciding to try being alcohol free or, or testing it for a while or getting over what you're scared your, you know, boss or best friend or, or mother will think if you decide to yeah. remove alcohol. Yeah. Yeah. So I know you're working on a ton of different things and like, you know, removing alcohol from your life is one part of your life, but, but as people go further in their sobriety, it, it doesn't like define you completely, um, or absorb all your time and energy. So what, what's exciting you now? I mean, I know you love learning and reading and everything else. Um, well, I mean, I think we all just went through like a, a uh, an extremely traumatic, event that's ongoing and has had no definite end. And I'm talking about like the pandemic. Um, I think what's been really interesting to me um, and grabbing my attention and, you know, has me thinking is, um, you know, like, where do we go from here? I think like, how do people move out of this space? And like, how do we honor and gr like, like grieve properly? I think that there is, it's interesting because it's kind of like the thing that like we all just went through. And, um, one of my friends, I remember we were talking a couple of years ago and he said, um, you know, there's no playbook on how to emerge from a global pandemic. Um, like how to, how to like psychosocially, spiritually integrate, um, after we've all been through what we've just been through. And I, I think about that a lot because I think it's this almost unspoken thing because we don't know how to speak about it of we all just experienced this and there has been no ritualization. There has been no threshold to cry. There's been nothing right for us to like collectively examine um, the effects and also to like, to grieve, to heal, to, and, and to really like decide where do we go from here and how do we, you know, how do we individually and collectively operate? And so I think that has me it, like, it's a soupy thing because it's like addiction. Like there's so much to it, right? There's, you know, the way, like it changed the way we've worked, the way we connect, the way, you know, like what, what we prioritize, where we live, um, like, so like very similar to addiction, right? You, like you remove this substance, you pull this little thread, the whole web moves, right? You know, if you remove alcohol, your relationships change, you know, like your partnerships change, your social life changes, your health changes, it uncovers all of these things that were lying underneath it. 
Um, you know, like people get autis- autism diagnoses or, or mental health, other, like it, it reveals like maybe you're queer, maybe you have ADHD, maybe, you know, like all of these things kind of like swim to the surface and, and your life is never the same again. And you operate entirely differently. And, and I think that like very similar to that, like we can look at the pandemic and it's the same thing. It just, you know, it rearranged us and, I, so I think about that a lot. I have, I mean, it's just a lot of questions It's very murky and it's hard to even, you know, like when all of my friends currently, when every single person I know, either their hair is falling out or they have unprecedented levels of stress and anxiety or, uh, no motivation or they feel more lonely, you know, I, across the board, every single person that I know is struggling pretty deeply, you know? And I think to me, that's really fascinating in the sense of like, and yet we're still carrying on and going to work and, and worrying about the same things that we were worrying about before, which seem really frivolous. And so I think about that. That's what I think about. Um, and how, and how that ties in to addiction and how that ties into recovery. And, and so, it's, you know, yeah, it's an interesting time to be alive. Yeah, it totally is. And I know, you know, from working with women and talking with women, um, everything you described and also, you know, being, I won't say trapped, but, you know, quarantined or, or spending lots and lots more time with your spouse and your kids and without all of your usual distractions is something that you know, brought a lot of things to the surface. And then also like the whole trust of humanity physically and emotionally and reemergence and sending your kids back to school. I mean, there is so much out there um, and diverging views with other people in other parts of the country or other parts of your community. I mean, there is so much there and, and you're right. I think it's going to impact us for a long time and change us. And you know, already has. Yeah. 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 Well, so if someone's listening to this and is just at the beginning of their journey, what would you say to them? Or how would you think that the best way is for them to move forward and get started with this? You know, I think that there's just no wrong way, right? Like to me, I think oftentimes it's just, it's, it's probably the same thing that I've been saying for years, which is, I think that a lot of times when we, like, we don't have enough trust in our own momentum um, or enough trust in the process as it is. And I think that when you look back at, you know, when I personally look back at all the things that had to happen for me to move from, you know, uh, what we used to call it tempest is ether like just absolutely not knowing there was a problem, absolutely not being able to pinpoint alcohol was the thing because that's a real, like, even if you're in severe like alcohol use disorder, oftentimes you're just not even aware that there is a problem, right? There is so much denial and there's so much resistance. Um, and I think that the we have to really recognize the getting to the point of awareness is in of itself a huge accomplishment yeah. that many won't make. And therefore, I think that when people are, well, what do I do now? There's this idea that you can do it wrong, that you have to take these specific steps. And I go back to a lot of the things that I talked about way early on, which was you just throw the kitchen sink at it, right? Like you just like you figure out like as you go along, but you, you don't, you're not precious about it. You're not thinking I have to follow these 10 steps and then I'll do this and then I'll do that. And then I'll do this. But you, you essentially are using this as a period of time. Really, if you're, if you're serious about healing, about your own healing, it's immersive. It, it requires trial and error, but it also requires you know, really working with where we are at the moment. And a lot of times when people come into recovery or to address their relationship with, with alcohol or addiction, 
they are really beat down. It's not, you're not necessarily in a great place. And um, I think that it can be really defeating at the beginning. It took a lot of willpower for me. Um, it took a lot of like, of picking myself up and, and dragging myself through therapy or dragging myself, you know, through my life as I was changing it. And I think at the beginning, it can feel so daunting and so overwhelming. And so I guess what I'm saying is you've already done a lot of work to be listening to these words here. You should be so proud of yourself and appreciate what you have already done um, because it is a lot of work. And then also it's just the, the trusting that this is an unfolding process. And it really is about, you know, like committing, right? Like it's about like committing and and, 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 and not committing to abstinence or committing to this training program or whatever. It's just this commitment to continue to come back to ourselves. Um, and we lose the commitment and we regain the commitment and we lose the commitment and we regain the commitment. But it's just, there's, there's really no wrong ABC way to move forward. Yeah, I love that. And I have to say that one of the phrases in your book that I really liked is you talk about practice sobriety. And some of the shift that needs to take place around giving yourself that grace, a phrase that made me laugh out loud, uh, like truly is because here in Soberland, and just that concept of like Soberland, you said, we don't build on failure. We don't have comebacks. We aren't just working out the kinks. We relapse, which is a different word. And I don't love that word, right? Because like you it's said, return, I believe it's now reclassified as return to use. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that. But right, right. Like we have relapse. We have yeah. a very different set of standards for if we're in recovery and we fuck up what it means about us. And, and also the way we're supposed to atone, we're supposed to announce it to the world, like Dak Shepard, like, you know, go back to day zero you know, really get humble again and have shame. and all these things, which is fine. That works for some, but the the point is that like we have to be far more what feminine, right? like forgiving, yes. fluid, like instead of so rigid and so punitive. But that is what exists within. If you're learning to tie, if your you know five year old kid is learning to tie their shoes and yeah. they get it, and then they like mess it up. You don't say you're, we're now going back to the beginning and, you know, and how could like you understand they are developing and learning and practicing and trying and, and it's a mess. We understand that in almost every other area of development, except for this one. And this is an area of development, right? And so it, it does require this, this soft, forgiving approach. Yeah. And you talk about it as being an undertaking, a practice, an endeavor that takes guts and risk and trial and error. So if you're listening to this and you're in the beginning of your endeavor or undertaking or practice, just have grace with yourself in the the practice of it, practicing sobriety, because it's good and it's worth it. And it takes, you know, the old phrase, like it takes what it takes, right? Everybody comes to it in a different way. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Thank you so much for being here. I mean, truly, it's an honor. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It was really fun. It's, it's nice. Six and a half years later, right? Yeah. <laughs> Six and a half years later. And I am still friends and in touch with a bunch of people who I did hip sobriety with in those early, oh early days. So yeah. um, that's really cool. The A-team. Right? <laughs> the, o- the OGs yeah. way back. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, thank you. Thanks, Casey. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Hello Someday podcast. If you're interested in learning more about me, the work I do, and access free resources and guides to help you build a life you love without alcohol, please visit hellosomedaycoaching.com. And I would be so grateful if you would take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast so that more women can find it and join the conversation about drinking less and living more.
I'm Madeline, and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking, and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober, and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host, and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety, and lots of how-tos for navigating all the things sober, from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips. I'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories, and they're all so, so inspiring. I'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking. In fact, it's very much the opposite. And no matter what your relationship was with alcohol, life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober. New episodes come out every Tuesday. You can listen to Happiest Sober Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.